Thank you for tuning in to Summary Judgment, where Austin personal injury attorneys Josh Fogelman and Aaron Von Flatern of FBF Law discuss the ins, outs, and in-betweens of personal injury cases. Hey, Josh. Hey, Aaron. I heard about this super cool program this weekend that I'm going to check out. Oh, what's it called? It's called Skynet. (laughs) What is Skynet? Well, apparently, we're going to have armies of artificially intelligent soldiers that are going to be taking over the world and ending humanity. Oh, yeah. How is that relevant to our business? Oh, we'll stop existing. Okay, got it. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah. We should we should make a movie about it and call it The Terminator. <laughs> um, hey Josh. Hey Aaron. Do you like Chat GPT? I think it's incredible. I'm in a relationship with Chat GPT myself. I think it likes me. That's perfect. And we talk a lot. That's great. Do you know what it believes our tagline should be for FVF Law? I'd love to know. Um, FVF Law, future forward legal care. It's actually actually pretty good. It's not bad. It's pretty good. I like that it called it legal care, which really speaks to me. I'm like, that's what we get. It's almost like, it it sounds almost medical. It does make sense. But um, yeah, GPT is a lot smarter than both of us to put together, Um, except It doesn't actually do any thinking is what I understand about this uh, natural language processing AI world that we're in. It's it's an interesting time to be alive right now with what's going on in the artificial intelligence world. Have you, are you a Bard fan or a chat GPT fan? Great question. Um, I love them all. I've been using Bard, ChatGPT. I've used Claude.ai. If, if you haven't heard of that, that one's known as a constitutional AI, meaning that it has like, not like the United States constitution. It's like it has an internal constitution, um, which is uh, because the anthropic corporation that made it is trying to make it more like ethical, hmm. you know, so that when you ask it a question, it doesn't just you know, give you internet garbage regurgitated because the internet, unfortunately, is like a floating cesspool. Speaking of ethics, does chat GPT know that you're cheating on it with both Bard and Claude? I'm sure it does. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Luckily, All knowing. It's a robot. But, um, you know, we should probably tell our listeners why we're talking about it and and where we get all this amazing knowledge that we have about AI. Yeah. So tell them. Uh, well, we're MIT students. <laughs> uh, no, Josh is taking an, an AI class through one of the executive, um, what, you know, it's it's not the real MIT. I, we shouldn't like fool our viewers into thinking you're an MIT scholar, but you, you, you go to MIT. We're learning about artificial intelligence and its implications for business strategy. Yeah. And it's been a really interesting road so far for a couple of different reasons. One, I'm well past the age of being a student Mm -hmm. and having to study and learn new things is fun and exciting and a lot harder than it was when I was 20 years old. But 
we've decided sort of as an organization and as people in this society that it's a good idea to ride this wave that is artificial intelligence because it seems as though it's going to fundamentally change a lot of things about a lot of things in a lot of ways. And exciting times, very exciting times that we want to be a part of. Uh, you terrifying. Know, to, yeah. In some ways, terrifying. Um, I'm just going to keep throwing out stuff. <laughs> but, you know, since the beginning of our organization, you and I, I mean, when we first started uh, this business, you and I have always been thinking about ways to do things better. Yeah. And that's not just from a business point of view. Well, that's part of it. But from a client interface point of view, from a client education point of view, from an efficiency point of view, from a results point of view, uh, from a, a team improvement point of view, improving their quality of lives, giving them the best opportunities. It's an important part of who you and I are. And it's an important part of the ethos of our business. So that was sort of the impetus why we decided to go down this road and try to develop and improve our understanding of artificial intelligence, how it's going to impact our industry in both the short term and the long term, and how we can use it in our business to just make things better. So maybe we should kind of review for the skeptics out there, because I mean, I'm I was pretty skeptical when I heard that this thing was doing what it was doing. And I thought, well, it's probably just like a kind of parlor trick. And to some degree it is. I think we've learned that it doesn't actually think. It's more of a prediction machine based on context. Uh, but that being said, we've seen some pretty powerful applications already, especially when this technology, the the natural language processing, you know, large language model, whatever you want to call these um, chat GPT type things. Uh, when these things are married with the machine learning that's been kind of building for the last 10 years in the tech world, uh, as well as married with software that like, you know, CRM software that's already out there, businesses are starting to become capable of doing some really intense things really quickly, really cheaply. And that has some big implications. So what are some of the things in the legal world that, that you think could be coming? Yeah. So I think what would be great to talk about two different, when you say the business world, it's, it's a, that's a big sphere. I want to kind of break that down. I think from our business point of view, there's, I think, two things we're talking about here. One is business in terms of client interface client access to education and information. And then there's also from, from an internal workings point of view, the practice of law. And there's also, also the management of an organization. Um, we, we can kind of share on those, but, you know, I think from an over, uh, an overarching point of view, what interests me the most is how can these artificial intelligence models be utilized as tools to improve the way that we practice law, not just from a, hey, we've got a lawsuit that we need to file, rather than having someone in our organization spend hours upon hours literally drafting the lawsuit document 
but having this tool available to them where they can prompt it what the lawsuit is about and it will generate that petition that they can then review and tweak, saving those hours so that they can focus those hours on client care or client management. Uh, you know, anything from that to actually drafting discovery questions and drafting discovery responses. There's so many opportunities, it seems, to use these models as an incredible way to be more efficient as a lawyer. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I, I think we should kind of catch people up a little bit because I, if I'm sitting there listening to this, I'm like, well, I heard a lawyer filed a brief with the court in New York and it was a huge embarrassment. And the guy almost got disbarred. And that honestly, you know, was legitimately terrible what this uh, lawyer had done. He begged for mercy of the court, um, but his excuses were kind of even worse because it was like, well, I just assumed this was going to have good, you know, it was going to check the citations and all that. I mean, this machine was making up court cases and, and even making up what they were about. And they, you know, the, the court uh, somehow allowed this guy to keep his license. But what we should tell people is since that moment, um, even since then, which was very recent, uh, they have made strides in terms of how to use this thing in a responsible manner. Um, there are different software out there now that can um, keep all of the universe of information that you want to talk about with this machine in a HIPAA compliant box and can limit the machine's ability to quote unquote hallucinate to come up with these facts. You know, it can you can sort of start to put parameters on it that prevent it from doing that. And I think the biggest thing that turned turned me uh, into a believer that this stuff could actually work and help law firms and help clients ultimately is the fact that you can feed it your own work. So instead of it drafting a petition, just sort of guessing what, you know, a, a, a car crash petition should look like, you feed it one of your own or 10 of your own or 100 of your own, it then starts to, it'll read the police report. It'll take the way you write lawsuits based on facts and make it sound like your own voice. And of course, you got to edit it. And it, I don't think we're ever going to get to a point where a lawyer is not supposed to look over every document. But... Um, what does this mean for the client? It's like, well, does that mean I'm paying for the lawyer to not even lawyer? And I think what the answer is, is it's freeing up the lawyer's time for the real work because that's busy work to us. You know, putting a petition together, uh, deciding on the objections that go into discovery or drafting discovery requests to a corporation. You know, these are things that we have to do, but they're not the creative part. You know, I'd rather get 50 discovery requests drafted for me to a trucking company and then have me come behind that and think of five more that are really interesting and specific that the, the machine might not have picked up on um, so that I can drill down into the corporation's uh, practices and policies. So I think there's, there's a huge potential there to make legal services faster, more reliable, and ultimately cheaper. Yeah, we're certainly not at the point now where the AI can be relied upon to do comprehensive legal research and write legal briefs, uh, you know, legal arguments and things of that nature. It's funny, I had a dinner with a, a, an old colleague of mine, a friend of mine, 
she was telling me the story about how her law partner, they, they had a case, she's a criminal lawyer, they had a case where there was a question about whether the police had lawfully searched the car. Mm-hmm. So her, her partner goes into chat GPT, types in the fact scenario and says, give me a case that says this is illegal. And sure enough, ChatGPT spat out the perfect case. You know, Jones v. State, Texas Supreme Court case, right on point. He was so excited. He was like, I got it. I got the right case. Then he, of course, went into LexisNexis and, you know, did the legal research and typed in that case so that he could read it and make sure that no case had overturned it. Turns out, case didn't exist. ChatGPT made it up. And that's, of course, a big problem and a big limiting factor for the extent to which it can be used in the practice of law and a great reminder of why, you know, you still have to have oversight of the work that you're doing and why you still want a practicing licensed attorney human being Mm. doing the legal work itself. But yes, to your point, if you can utilize this tool to do some of the heavy lifting that's a little bit less analytical, but more kind of hands-on document drafting, creating shells of things for you that you can then just review and go out. Even if you can free up an hour or two of your day, that's an hour or two of your day that you can then turn and use towards either doing additional legal research or more importantly, working with the client and doing things with the client to help advance their case forward in some meaningful way as efficiently and effectively as you possibly can. Yeah, and I think you, you had asked me earlier about Bard versus Claude versus ChatGPT, and there's there's a ton of other ones out there, by the way. Um, those are the three that I have the most experience with. But um, I want to point out that Bard is probably the least capable when it comes to, say, drafting a, a document, drafting a story, just say, you know, if you, if you said, you know, write a story about palm trees and, and a tiger and, you know, it would, it would probably do the, the, it would have the least capabilities in that department. But when you ask it something that where it needs to go out and check the internet, it's the only one of those three that has a direct pipeline to the regular internet. And so, if you asked it, you know, who won the Chiefs game yesterday, it would actually be able to tell you, whereas ChatGPT would say, well, I'm stuck in 2021. All my data and my training data is in 2021, so I don't know the answer and I can't ever give that to you. Um, there is still a problem, though. And so my point is that we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg here. Eventually, all these machines will be connected with a live feed to the Internet and will have a way of blending its creative abilities with with actual current knowledge um, as well as all the contextual powers that it has um, so so it's this is more of a conversation about what's possible not so much like hey everybody run out and use this machine right now to to run your legal case um, but in the present moment it is possible for people to get some answers to some questions using these machines. Like if you had a question like, um, you know, uh, what should I do if I get in a car accident? What's the first thing I should do? Or what's the first 10 things I should do? Um, these, these machines are pretty good about spitting out some pretty solid advice and they're not really coming up with the advice. What they're doing is reading 10,000 blog articles and papers that have been written and synthesizing the most common 
items from there. So, you know, first thing is call the police, you know, make sure you document the scene. If you have photos, you know, if you have the ability to take photos, take them, um, get names and witness information, you know, it, so it'll give you all that as if it was a lawyer. Why is that important? Because, you know, from our perspective, we get to start counseling clients as soon as they call us, but sometimes people take a year before they call us. And so it's nice to think that they might actually be getting some decent guidance along the way. Hoping that, of course, that guidance is true. And I think, you know, there is still, of course, some question about the accuracy of the information that you're getting. You know, you and I have also talked quite a bit about how is artificial intelligence going to potentially change the game and how people go about finding the attorney that they want to hire? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm I'm encouraged. I would say in the in the near term, I'm terrified like everyone else that our all of our marketing strategies might not be as relevant as they were before this stuff came along. But in the long term, what I see is a system that's capable of understanding at a deeper level than Google currently understands us, uh, understanding us, right? Like I think it's it's likely, I mean this is a self-serving bias here, but I think we're a lot more substance than the average law firm that does what we do. And I think Google, when it goes to find us, when a, when a customer, a potential new client is searching for us, they're just sort of comparing surface items. And that goes back to a prior podcast where we talked about, you know, the, the numbers game, putting big numbers on your websites to get people to call you. You kind of almost have to do that because you know, the customer will never see you if Google doesn't see you. And Google is only looking for like these certain categories. These new artificial intelligence models are capable of a much deeper dive into who you are, what results you get, why people like you and why, you know, you've earned the five stars that Google says you have. Um, They're going to weed out fake reviews. They're going, you know, there's a lot of coming where if you are a, uh, a superficial organization, I think you're going to crumble in that environment. But if you have, you know, like you say about a house that got good bones, you know, we've got good bones. And so when we get reviewed by these uh, supercomputers, I think they're going to find that there's a lot of substance there and there's a lot of reason to direct clients to us. Yeah, we've behind closed doors when we're talking about our marketing, you know, we've all of our reviews five-star reviews those are earned those are real we could point to the human being that we served that wrote each and every single one of those and they're heartfelt and they're heartfelt and that's a lot of years of blood sweat and tears from our organization to get to that point to achieve that success and that's our mission that was what we set out to do from the very beginning and it's amazing to see it have come to fruition almost 10 years later now so behind closed doors when we're talking about marketing strategies it's so frustrating when you're looking at who your competition is in the community and you you know those folks that are out there paying for google reviews and it makes you want to pound your head against the wall because you know that that success is bought and paid for right and one of the things that we have talked about is well right now it doesn't seem like google cares it seems like in some ways they actually reward that type of 
behavior, which is, I mean, you're, if you're paying a non-client to write a review for services they never received in order to induce somebody to hire you, that's bad. They're real bad. It's yeah. bad. Yeah. And Google, bad behavior on a lawyer's part in particular. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> and I mean, it's beyond unethical. It's, it might be illegal. I don't know. But, you know, our hope and thought is, because right now Google doesn't seem to be differentiating between real reviews and reviews that it ought to know are fake. And one of the hopes that we have, kind of going back to what I was talking about earlier, how can this benefit the client or the potential client in the future? Well, when you're out there searching for, for a lawyer, we're hoping that, to your point, these artificial intelligence processors will have the ability to differentiate what's good from what's bad, what's genuine from what's fake, and use that as part of its synthesis of information to make a recommendation or point a person to another point a person to a website uh, to help answer their information uh, answer their question or link them with the service provider that might might be best suited for their line of work yeah so i mean if you know if you've got a website that's willing to pay for fake reviews how high can the quality of their content really be? Right. It calls into question everything about it. Yeah. And that's terrible for the consumer. So, well, and the same goes for, for uh, firms that, that may have a, a really easy way to give someone five-star reviews, but it's kind of contrived, like maybe they're giving it in the middle of the case. Maybe there's an incentive behind that that's especially large. Um, who knows how these reviews are being generated, but, and, and, you know, we're, we're not pointing anyone out specifically, but we've definitely seen instances where someone has jumped by more than 500 reviews in a week. And it just seems like, man, that probably isn't real. And, and Google's not picking up on it. So this isn't a complaint so much as a way to say, here's something good that's happening. There is going to be better grading of reviews by these machines. They're going to be able to identify what's real. They're going to be able to quickly cross-reference, um, you know, who a person is. Is this a real person? Or, you know, what's their Facebook account? And, and kind of figure out everything about them online to make sure that they're real, that they're actually in the same geographic area as the business that's being reviewed. That's a big one. Um, so we'll see. I think, you know, from the client's perspective, they've got a lot that they can learn from these machines right now, I would just caution uh, that you should please call us. We have gone to great lengths to make sure that everyone who calls us is in a zero pressure environment. If you call us, there's no danger. We're going to grab you and make you sign a contract. We are uh, adamant that people get the information they need, get educated and make informed decisions. And if we're involved and, and they want to hire us, great. If not, uh, we just are glad to be to be of service. So um, if you're out there using these um, services to get some advice, I would just say, make sure you call us uh, FVF Law. 